0: Art, Innovation, and Curation, the three tentpoles of the arts organization Pigment International. This is A Black Canvas, focusing on innovation in black culture with your host, Pigment International founder, Patricia Andrews Keenan. Artist Kerry James Marshall has said, you have to demonstrate that black is richer than it appears to be. That it is not just darkness, but a color. Here on the Black Canvas podcast, we explore that richness with Black artists, collectors, curators, and others in the Black Art ecosystem. Take a listen. Today, I am very excited to talk with Levette Ballard, and our conversation is going to revolve around influence, emulation, appropriation, so I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. By way of introduction, LaBette Ballard is an artist, an educator, a historian, an author. I like to call her a culture keeper in the vein of um, Dr. Margaret Burroughs that came out of here in Chicago. Her work is instantly recognizable. She uses aged wood, slices of birch, And most notably and specifically, she uses wooden fences. She began this process when she was working on her thesis and it continues to evolve. Uh, She was influenced by Denzel Washington's performance in the movie of the same name, Fences. And what she says is that fences are a metaphor for things that both keep us in and things that keep us out the same theme that was through the movie and all of the plays by August Wilson. Um, she also had her work on the cover of Time Magazine in 2020. It was a salute to women and featured this amazing photo of Rosa Parks demanding dignity. In doing my research about her, I got to listen to a couple of podcasts and we had a great conversation the other day. The term that comes to mind is matriarchal memorists because she is so vested in her family line, beginning with her great-great-grandmother, and she, but she's also vested in the entire lineage of us as Black women. So it is really a pleasure to talk to you, and welcome, LaVette.
1: Thank you so much for this honor of sitting down and chatting with you.
0: Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. We have a lot in common. We both have Southern roots. We're both cancers. Uh, I, I know you like to cook. I like to cook. I love great art. Yes. I like great art. So, you know, this is going to be a treat.
1: Yeah. Let's, hey, let's do this. I love this. Right.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to start with influences because I've been thinking about those lately. Uh, and I know it, when we think about artists overall, how do they interpret those influences? And how do they emulate those who influence them? I know Elizabeth Catlett, Romare Beard, and all those are influences. Those amazing artists artists are influences for you. Tell me how you have honored that influence in your work.
1: Well, it's in respect to um, the goddess uh, Elizabeth Catlett, I just felt such a connection with her as far as what I like to consider her strong woman approach to art, that she was going to be unapologetically Black. She was going to be unapologetically showing her feminine identity within her work. I like the idea of an artist not veering from what is most important to them, not letting the economics of the art world play into what she was creating and what motivated for her to create. I love her simple images of a mother and child. There's something very innocent about that. Uh, just as much as I love her images about Black power and um, independence. Uh, and then, of course, with Romare Bearden Uh, I didn't really learn about him until I was, I would say, about to enter college, an undergrad. And I had the pleasure of meeting someone who actually was a friend of his. And uh, she would say that, you know, he was much like many other Black artists, painting and doing his own thing. And he came about from collage because he wanted to show that uh, we are everywhere. And that he was able to piece these images of us that he was locating and appropriating to create this body of work that once again was about showing us who we are. Um, and A funny thing, another thing I didn't know about him, that he was a Negro League baseball player, which kind of blew my mind. Yeah, he was a Negro League baseball player. He was actually tapped to be what uh, eventually was um, Jackie Robinson. He was originally supposed to be the before Jackie. It would have been we wouldn't have been saying Jackie Robinson. We would have been saying Romary Bearden.
0: Did you get to meet either of your influences? Yes,
1: I did get to meet Miss Catlett. I got to meet her on two occasions. Uh, the first occasion was more of a meet and greet. Um, I barely could talk, which is tends to be my thing when I meet someone I really admire. I kind of go fangirly and have to get my t- tongue together. But the second time, it was almost as like we were peers, as equals. And I was able to have a really great conversation with her. And she was much older, um, very witty, very funny, very endearing, like a, I wouldn't say like a grandmother, but more like a favorite aunt that's older than you. You know, she, she wonderful, wonderful woman.
0: And, and go ahead, talk about those influences and how they show up in the work that you do, or when they began to show up, that kind of thing.
1: Well, early on, when I started doing art, I always knew I was going to do art about Black people. That was so important to me. I kind of consider it kind of my W.E.B. Du Bois talented 10th, you know, mantra, you know, show the best of us, show us, uh, you know, always handling adversity, our intelligence, our dignity, our beauty. Uh, I started off as a painter, as most artists do. Either you draw or you paint. And my paintings, though, I was told were very good. They seemed to be very rudimentary. It was just, ah, eh, Like I found a great photo as a Black woman, I paint her. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it really didn't have depth. It really didn't really speak to anything. I might paint a family members, or a friend's portrait. Uh, The closest thing I really felt to connecting my um, talent with art was when I started this body of work where I was painting uh, Black um, poets and spoken word artists that I encountered in Philadelphia. And I did a whole body of work on that. And it was really enlightening to me because here I'm taking real people and I'm bringing them to life with not just the visual of their image but also their words which I was starting to collage within the work and uh I after some time I was at that time I was in undergrad and while I was in undergrad I just how should we say uh I was a unconventional undergrad student.
0: <laughs> How so? Uh,
1: I, I, I went back to school late. At that point, I was an undergrad in my late 30s, early 40s. And uh, I knew I wanted to do something in the arts. Uh, at that time, my uh, course load was everything uh, heavily art history, uh, museum studies, and studio art. Mm-hmm. So... Uh upon graduating, I graduated with a dual degree in both art history and studio art with a minor in museum studies.
0: Wow. Because you had spent some time majoring in fashion prior to this. Yes. That. You had a whole yes. Focus before.
1: Yeah. I, I originally coming out of high school back in the eighties, I wanted to be a fashion designer. And I went to uh, I applied to, I believe, five or six different uh, art schools, and I pretty much got into every art school I applied to.
0: And you had some big names in there, Fashion Institute of Technology. Yeah,
1: Fashion Institute of Technology, Parsons. Parsons, I was already um, going to in the summers. My mother found a great uh, kind of co- a high school uh, summer program, like a... a program where you can go to in the summer and take college level classes, but it was in the summer while you were in high school. So I was already going to Parsons, uh, but I got into Fashion Institute of Technology. Uh, I chose that school because of the name pretty much. Uh, I lived in uh, Northern Jersey, so I would just ride the train over and if I wanted to visit my family, I stayed on campus the first semester and uh, they did a field trip with the school to um, Donna Karen's offices and I'll never forget. <laughs> going to our offices and I was kind of already disillusioned with the program only because I love drawing these beautiful dresses and outfits and putting the women in them. And I, I came up with really great work, but I didn't like the idea of, f- I like to see the final fabrication, but I didn't want to make the final fabrication. <laughs> I just wanted yeah. to come up with the design and give it to somebody. And say, okay, make this.
0: <laughs> Hence the movement to art.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, when we did the uh, Donna Karen visit, I went to. Um, it was a class trip. And I'll never forget this woman coming in kind of like a devil wears Prada and smoke chain, smoking a cigarette. And she's like giving her coat to one person. One person is running after her with all the, her schedule. Another, And I'm like, like, really, <laughs> this is, this, is this really what I want to do? And then they took us up to her floor where most of the designers were. And that's when it really hit me. I said, wait a minute. She don't really design this stuff. <laughs> There's <laughs> all these other people, and <laughs> it, it, I, I said, "No, this is definitely not what I want to mm. do." No, so um, I left school. I went to a junior college because we moved. My family moved, and I left school for a while. I ended up um, having my eldest son, and uh, it wasn't until I got married and my husband encouraged me to go back to. Uh, school. Cause at that time I was always artsy. It never left me. I was doing everything from, uh, doing wedding planning to party planning to like crafting favors, making chocolates, um, give you name it. If it was artsy, I did it. If you wanted a party, I was the one you went to, uh, wet, you name it. And, Uh, he said, well, you're really still painting and I think your paintings are good, but you, do you want to teach with it? And I said, I don't really know. He said, well, you're not happy at your job. I'm making more than enough. We have our sons, you go on to school and take some classes. I ended up going back to the right school. I went to a small junior college. And it worked out for me. Uh, I met some great teachers. They introduced me to the bigger art world, which I never knew. And uh, through social media, I started meeting big name Black artists who were just starting off with Facebook. And they connected me with people who now, if I met them now, they would have ignored me in their DMs. But back then, they actually talked to me. And encouraged me and um, they convinced me to keep up with school. Went to grad school and here I am.
0: And that grad school project that, that foreshadowed you today, tell us a little bit about how that came about.
1: So what happened with the thesis project? I was really struggling in the beginning with my grad program. Um, Danny Simmons, who was my mentor, Um, He and um, another woman who he works with, Tanisha Nash-Laird, who is actually the director of the Newark Symphony Hall, Um, they were kind of my sounding boards. there's nothing but white people here. I'm the only black female in the program. They keep inviting all these people and the people who they are black. I'm always the one they're wanting to do a photo op with. I feel like they keep suggesting the same names all the time for artists for me to look at. I just felt like they they wanted me to learn the skills and they so wanted to inspire me but they were giving me the same it's like someone feeding you cake every day after a while you're like okay i've had that yeah. can you give me something else right and it wasn't it's great in the beginning but after a while you're like okay i want i need more and Uh, Danny literally would say, um, I have this going on at the gallery, come check it out or, uh, meet this person or meet that person. And through him, he would suggest people and Tanisha would do the same. Eventually he connected me with Diane Smith, who is like my big sis. She is my godsend. Uh, she ended up becoming my senior mentor uh, and in my program, I went to a low residency program. So during the summer, we were in a bubble, literally. We started in the beginning of the summer and we were on campus all the time. I wasn't getting in at home sometimes till 10, 11 o'clock at night or later. Uh, And we were with the faculty on campus at that time. But during the summer, um, during the fall, you would choose a mentor. All my other peers were choosing the faculty that we had been with all summer, which made no sense to me because I'm like, you're already learning from them. <laughs> you are, yeah, why Why are you doing that? Uh, so I purposely chose people who were visiting artists uh, to the school. If it was an artist that was working with hair and I was working with hair, I'd ask them, what are you doing in the fall? What are you doing in the spring? Do you want to be my mentor? And most of them, surprisingly enough, agreed to it. And then Diane was my first and only Black mentor. And once I got her, it stuck. It's, I mean, we were like peanut butter and jelly. Uh, she would, and she has this way of not telling you what to do, but helping you figure out what to do yourself she knows what you can do and she knows what she wants to tell you, but she lets you figure it out. So when I was working originally, I came in as a painter. I was told literally that my paintings from one of the visiting artists, they said my paintings reminded them of bad album covers. And I didn't like that. So I said, okay, I'm not gonna paint anymore. So I started literally weaving hair, a la David Hammons. And I kind of became the gem of the program. And then after a while, I didn't like weaving hair anymore, making hair sculptures. So I said, I wanna do something, kind of what I came in with, which was painting on fences. I met Diane, Diane said, well, listen, We don't want to shock them with you painting on fences, okay? Let's try collage. And I said, well, I'm not really good at it. She was like, that's why we have the time. We're going to work it out. And I spent months figuring out a process to adhere these papers, first onto paper. And then eventually during that winter, there was a storm and my neighbor's fence fell over. And I needed a substrate because I was working on first chipboard plywood. And I. it was great because I love the idea of wood because it was flat. I love the rings. I like the neutral colors. And when I saw that fence panel there and they were stacked up in front of their house to go out for the garbage, I convinced my husband to bring them in the backyard
0: <laughs> scavenging a little scavenging.
1: scavenging I cleaned them up as best as I thought at the time uh my township I needed space because I didn't have a lot of space in the studio in my house I was working with which is a small bedroom my township stepped up and they offered me a incubator space Uh, as a studio in the Township Community Center. And my husband and my sons lugged these, uh, at that time it was 11 fence panels up two flights of stairs to my studio. And I spent six months figuring out how to adhere these paper collage piece images onto there. And the work, it's funny too, because Diane was with me every step of the way. Well, you don't want to do too much because you know, the reason they don't like painting is because they feel you're doing too much you, which is fine for you to do you on your own. But when you're in a college setting and they have certain ideas of what you are supposed to do, you have to work them in. So she said, make your colors a lot less subtle, subtle, uh, try to, um, you know, layer more and, when I showed the dean <laughs> my work before the um, thesis, uh, we had to submit the pictures of our work that was going to be submitted for the thesis, final thesis uh, review. She didn't call anyone else. She called me and she said, LeVette, what the heck are you doing in that studio? I was like, what's wrong? She's like, nothing. These are incredible. No she couldn't believe the work that came out compared to what I had been doing the year before. It was like night and day. And uh, the uh, the thesis show was stellar, to say the least. Uh, A lot of press, a lot of um, curators contacted me and my career. I really didn't have like I thought I would have like this slow kind of graduation of, okay, this happened. Okay, now I get to kind of rest on my laurels. Maybe I'll get lucky and find a teaching gig at a college or university and this will be my life. No, I had curators contacting me from museums, collectors contacting me to purchase the work um, and it just skyrocketed from there, which is great.
0: Did you find that? How did you find that to be? Was that overwhelming? Or were you at a point in your maturity where you could really lean into that and, and enjoy it and being exhausted at the same time?
1: I think at first I was ready for it because I had been like selling my paintings and so forth already. And in my head, I was already a superstar. But, but you don't realize the pace i think that was what was more daunting than anything because you you are working and you're creating you know i have spent a year creating eight panels And now people are asking for slightly smaller panels and the eight panels are now being sold and they're disappearing. So I have to create more artwork. And what was supposed to have been just a studio space just for a short time is now my studio space. Um, I'm having to set up a real studio practice uh, going from being just kind of, this is what I'm doing now for the moment to this is what I do. Uh, It was fine at first, but there's a point where you're running, 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 and you're like, okay, I got to sit down. And they're like, no, you can't sit down. The zombies are still behind you. You have to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So that's more like what it feels like. It's like at one point you want to rest. You want to relax and take a moment to kind of breathe and appreciate but you can't because all of these opportunities are keep getting thrown at you. And if you say no, you're afraid the other ones are not going to come.
0: You don't know if they'll come back around. So. wow, well,
1: You work through it. Uh, I, like I said, I was really blessed. Uh, Diane would tell me just keep working through it. Enjoy the ride. Just ride the wave. And i um, I'm, I'm very good friends with Bisa. Bisa's wave was flying just as I was starting and, um, we had known each other for years by then. And, um, I'm just like asking her questions. She's like, you're asking me, I'm just realizing what's going
0: on. I'm figuring it out as I go. (laughs) Yeah, I'm
1: figuring it out as I go. So, uh, we're, it's good to have a community, um, which I really depend on a lot. I do, like I said, get fangirlish a lot. <laughs> like uh, I went, the first time I called Deborah Roberts because she told me to give her a call because I reached out to her on Instagram saying how much I loved her work and I admired her work. And I actually mentioned her in my thesis statement. And she, she stayed on the phone with me, no lie, for like two hours. And we were just wow. talking. And the whole time, I'm like, I would have to take a moment in my head and be like, you're on the phone with freaking Deborah Roberts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Well, well you know, Deborah's um, Deborah's work is on the cover of our Pigment International magazine the one we released last year. And the one for which we won an award for best cover design. I'm like, oh, you are so amazing, And, you know, just to have that there was just such a boon for us. So I get it. I get the fangirl piece. I get all of it, you know, because yeah. I came up around television people because I was in cable. But, you know, you remain cool because that's what you're doing. I do PR and media, but I'm kind of like you. I get a little geeky around artists, you included. So I, I appreciate your you know, your uh, calmness makes it easy for me to do this, but I get a little fangirly. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) No problem.
1: Pigment International's Black Canvas Podcast is sponsored by Sun Fun You Mediterranean Voyages. Join Sun Fun You for a week yachting through the Mediterranean, learning about the art and culture of the region, and playing in the sea. For a relaxing vacation a world away, visit sunfunyou.com and sign up for a voyage next
0: summer. I'm going to, you mentioned Deborah Roberts. I'm going to, going to segue us a little bit. I'm going to tell you the experience I had and come back to Deborah um, In Chicago right now at the Cultural Center, they are running an exhibition of Colt Scott's work. Um mm-hmm huge, you know, huge paintings. And Colescott, subversive political, wild colors, just everything. Mm -hmm. Colescott, you could see from this exhibition, had a lot of influences. He had Laguerre, who was his art teacher in France and his mentor. Uh, You can see a little bit of John Singer Sargent. You can see Roy and steam through the pop art era, his George Washington Carver crossing the Delaware is so iconic. So he has pulled from all these different places and people do that all the time, but he really took that stuff and made it his own. You would never say, oh, he tried to copy, Lichtenstein," and steam, although he did a piece of his. Um, yes. That's what I wanted to talk about, about how people take something that they've seen, that they've learned, because we build on the experiences of others that came before us. How do you really make that your own? Because when we were, if we were both in Miami this year uh, during Art Basel, and there was uh, so much discussion about how people were appropriating people's work without the intention of making their own, with people almost mistaking the work for theirs. And I know that happened with Deborah. So I want you to talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, I think a lot of uh, younger artists uh, really are coming in with this whole idea of I'm going to not be that artist. I'm not going to be that, you know, starving artist to begin with. This is about my, making money and doing what I like. Uh, I'm not saying you can't make money and be an artist. I'm proof of that. A lot of artists are proof of that. But there has to be some kind of ethical consideration when you're creating work. And there has to be a difference, a very clear difference between appreciating a person's work and appropriating a person's work. And there's a little bit too much appropriation going on in the art world right now, in my opinion. Uh, You see a lot of artists that are literally, you know, using the same source material as other artists, the placement of how they do their work, uh, the, the, the overall themes of their work are identical to other artists. And you can't really uh, look at this work as being new, You know, I I get excited when I go to Art Miami and Art Basel and I see work that is new and fresh and unique. That's why we have people like Bisa Butler and Delita Martin and, you know, Alfred Conte and, you know, uh, Carrie James Marshall and Amy Sherwell. You have these artists because they were doing something that nobody else was doing. But if you're copying their work, And not making it your own, that's where it becomes a problem because it's very clear you're only in it for the money and you haven't explored this journey enough to create your own vision, which is the problem.
0: And I can can see that so clearly because it's a matter of longevity as well. Evolution will take you one place, but... Flat out copying, people are going to peep you on that. They're going to they're going to come around, even if they don't get it at first. So, what's your long term play?
1: Yeah, you see the um, you see these people, and they're like, "But I'm selling work. I sold it to this celebrity or this uh, athlete, or you know." Yeah, you're selling the work, but guess what? This artist is going to always be talked about in textbooks.
0: Absolutely.
1: Are you? (laughs) And if you are, they're going to mention you as someone who copied, not similar, but copied that person's work.
0: So you're not going to be famous. You're going to be infamous.
1: Infamous. Yeah. I mean, and how long is it going to hold out? Because you best believe when those big collectors who have been collecting that other person's work, because right now it's just a small thing. Is kind of circulating, but eventually these big collectors who have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars and the originators of these artworks, they're going to put the word out and it's not going to be pretty.
0: Absolutely.
1: I just think you should push.
0: I, I saw Deborah responding to things on social media as well when people mistakenly thought some works were hers.
1: Yeah. And it's sad too for her. Think about it for her. People are going to think, oh, I bought a Deborah Roberts. And then they're going to worry about, oh, so no, this isn't. Deborah or I bought a um what I thought was a Carrie James Marshall or this person's gonna be valuable because their work looks so much like Carrie James Marshall. And yeah, it looks great on your wall. That's fine. That's fine. If you love I I would never say to someone, don't buy a piece of work because it's it's um not going to grow in value.
0: You buy work because you love it.
1: You buy work because you love it first and foremost if it's going to grow in value, it's like someone's selling you a Maserati, uh, for $20, <laughs> you, know?
0: you know, something's wrong,
1: <laughs> you know, something's wrong with it. It looks great, but you know, something's wrong with it. Right. You know, uh, you, you just have, t- I, I, my only concern is, As someone who is academically trained, I'm not saying these other artists out there are not academically trained, but there's certain things I do personally in my studio as I'm working out new ideas and new work. I keep it to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I keep it to myself until I feel it has been pushed so much away from who I am appreciating that it is true appreciation and it's not appropriation
0: anymore. Right. I love that, appreciation, not appropriation. And yeah. in Pigment, we talk a lot about the Black art ecosystem. There's the artist, there's the collector, there's the curator. And in some ways to do that is to disrupt that system. And, and, and Laura knows in the Black art ecosystem, we might not have always been cohesive like that. We have been allowed certain things. So we don't want to disrupt that from internally.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's, let's face it, we're in the United States and, and especially here, it's just like, it's always been really not much has changed as far as celebrity status is concerned. Uh, it's just like back in the forties and fifties, you had a Lena Horn, you had a Hazel Scott, they had a few, you know, a few Hollywood figures that look like us but they're not going to let us out in mass it is just that's that how the system is set up
0: still gatekeepers still gatekeepers. yeah
1: they're still gatekeepers so yeah when people are very simple when it comes to how they think of art if I think of a great black painter I think of Amy Sherrill, Carrie James Marshall Kehinde Wiley you know, if if you say for me to think of a certain, uh, artist that is more specific, okay, well, give me a black painter that is doing something more abstract, you know, uh, Danny Simmons who does abstract, you know, I'm thinking I, you have to give me parameters. Uh, but because of this small pool that we're being forced into, uh, we have to be even more considerate of one another and always be there to uplift one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the reason why you're getting so much of our art purchased in this day um, as of lately, yeah, the black lives matter movement pushed us. Yeah. Social media, even more so, you know, you see more of our work out there, but it, Unlike other um, communities, especially in our community, uh, anybody that knows me knows if someone who's a collector who's buying my work and they ask me outright, who should I be collecting? I'll tell them, I'll give them names, lots of names.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that because at the end I was going to ask you, who should we be looking at? Who are you following? So that's perfect. We're going to, we're going to definitely do that. But I love how you think about this as a community. Um, and you get out of that community what you're willing to put into it, and and appropriation is not the way to be part of a community. I just don't no. Believe.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's good for the galleries; they can sell, you know. Uh, but eventually, you're going to grow, and once you grow and you come into your own and develop a new artistic vision what are the galleries going to do and what are the collectors are going to do because the collectors are going to be like well I bought you because you were doing work like this and now you're doing what you should have waited to do
0: (laughs) you should have grown into
1: yeah mature into it yeah
0: Mm, I get it um, wanted to take some time I want you to tell us what's coming up for you, what kind of plans you're teaching, where are you showing so that we can see your work out in the public? Hopefully we'll be out more now that the, you know, the variant is calming down. I'm told. So.
1: Yeah. Uh, right now, my biggest thing coming up, uh, February through March, one of the galleries that represents me, i I'm blessed to have two, um, One of the galleries that represents me is Long Sharp Gallery in Indianapolis. I have a solo exhibit. Uh, I would say all of the work is brand new work. Uh, I think only two of the pieces there have been seen on social media. None of the pieces have been exhibited before. And I did 12 new pieces for that show. No, I did 16 new pieces of that show for that show and some of those are by paperworks which i developed um last summer when i was a resident uh art artist residency at Yado in uh, saratoga springs new york and uh so i'm showing i'm excited to see the response on those that's the first time people will be seeing multiples of those uh
0: will you be there for an opening
1: I'll be there for the opening on the 4th. It's on February 4th. Uh, They have it open to the public after 6.30. You have to contact the gallery because of COVID precautions and so forth. So they'll be able to kind of let you know, you know, what the requirements are as far as showing your COVID vaccine ID and so forth to enter. But it is open to the public uh, and I will be there on the 4th and I'm doing press on the third. Uh, and, and then I have after that, well, right now I'm back to teaching. Um, I usually do a full course load in the spring because it's kind of my lull period. I teach at uh, Stockton University and Rowan University in New Jersey. Uh, I The main schools I teach at are Stockton, Rowan, and uni- University of the Arts where I graduated for and Rutgers from time to time. So, I generally only teach one or um, one to three classes uh, and I teach everything from intro to drawing to art appreciation, art history, uh, collage and assemblage. I believe this semester they only have me teaching art history two and intro to drawing. Uh, And it's good for me because I've been waiting to have some downtime so I can develop this body of work I'm working on. I'm very excited. Uh, I came up with this idea because I have a granddaughter now and I've been reading her myths and folklores and legends, uh, um, mostly Aesop's fairy um, uh, fables. And I had this idea of taking real people and, collaging them on fence panels on birchwood panels as manifestations of these creatures and these gods and goddesses and folklore heroes so i'm going to have my son is anansi the spider my other son is um John the conqueror uh, uh my husband maybe as john henry uh I have a niece that's going to be uh, Kilbo Annie or Annie Christmas uh, Oya, the God uh, African European U- goddess. Uh, so all of these people, I'm having them photographed and I'm going to collage them. So I'm doing a whole series on that.
0: I'm sitting here with this beautiful fan that you did over the holidays. I think I snagged. There were when I called you, there were two left.
1: There were two left and you got the last one.
0: Is that kind of an outgrowth? It sounds like you like to keep busy, like, you know, busy hands, you know. So how did those come about? And I think mine is called Promises, Promises.
1: You have one of the original fans. That fan that you have was displayed in my installation that I did for the Dionne Warwick, Queen of Twitter And I only did seven, I believe, for that installation because I wanted the church fans in between. And that was one of the seven. Uh, So the title Promises, Promises is her song, Promises, Promises. So uh, most of those sold um, right after the show. And I only had, I think, two or three left. That one and I think one other one. And I had a whole packet left of the bare bones fan. And I said, well, I try to use the fans much like I do the wood slices, almost like a sketchbook. There are ways for me to kind of generate in my head ideas and how to do placements and kind of like practice and, uh, I said, let me finish these out. I put them up on uh, Instagram, and literally within two days, they were all gone.
0: Well, and I know you said you might be doing more. I, you know, it sounds like your year getting busy now, but
1: yeah, that's the plan. I'm, I'm probably doing more. Hopefully, in fe- the end of February, if I have time. Um, my other gallery, Gallery Mertisse, which is in Baltimore, they have me already set up for three shows. Um, and then, of course, uh, come August, I really got to get nails to the, you know, hit the floor running because the end of the year we have both art fairs. So
0: Mortise is heading to Italy and um, yes. plans to go as well. I don't know. Are you planning on coming? No. in?
1: no. I'm not one of the artists that was chosen and I was going to try to go, but then the school literally begged me to come back and teach. And I I couldn't turn down that opportunity, mm-hmm. especially considering I wasn't show if I was showing, of course, I would have been there, but um, I'm very excited for my um, artist peers that are going and everything that can, um, that I know will come from, uh, the caliber of artists that Matisse's is bringing and the artwork. I've had a peek at what they've created and man, minds are going to be blown.
0: Another reason I was so interested in the Colescott exhibition is because he was the first African-American invited to the Biennale back in 97, literally 25 years. So to think That um, Mertice Badola, who's the owner of the gallery, is taking nine artists. And then also that Simone Lee will be doing the U.S. pavilion.
1: It's going to be, oh, my God, it's going to be so dope. I'm just so excited for everyone that's going. Um, I'm excited for the opportunities that are going to come from the gallery. I mean, let's put it this way. That's the world stage. It's the finale I have no doubt that people are going to be coming to the gallery once she this is over with looking for who else she has. And uh the opportunities to show elsewhere is really going to be very exciting.
0: Absolutely. And then uh the last question I'm going to go back to what we talked about. Um, which artist are you watching right now? Would you suggest that people follow on IG? Just give us a couple of your uh, folks you need to talk
1: about? Well, I can't not talk about like my friends. <laughs> we have like a sister circle <laughs> of friends. Uh, people uh, like Toki Rome. uh She's a photographer. Her work is unbelievable. She puts these children in this costuming that's slightly um, Afrofuturistic, but more so almost like period costuming. Um, Very beautiful. Just her eye and how she's layering these uh, children with uh, jewelry um, from, say, I would say like uh, Edwardian times or Victorian period, just beautiful. Uh, and then uh, she has an identical twin sister, Sashi Ram, whose work is awesome. She's a painter, um, but I, I kind of think of her as a push painter because she's not painting more so as classical painting. It's almost like she's pushing the paint across the canvas, which is awesome. Uh, there's Danielle Scott from New Jersey. Um, she's actually one of my mentees. Uh, she does work somewhat similar to my practice where she's taking collages from the past and kind of reinventing them. But she's actually, uh, uh, encasing them in resin on canvas and she's using found objects like, um, bullets and lace and jewelry it's really amazing uh and then there is april bay my girl from cali she has a solo show at the cam um you talk about afrofuturism to the umpteenth level (laughs) her work is off the chains and um oh god uh Jennifer Mack Watkins, who's a wood making printer. Uh she, her work is fabulous. She had a work at um in New England over uh last spring into the summer. And then of course um my closest circle who is Delita Martin and Bisa Butler. Um those, you know, that's pretty much most of them. There's some brothers out there, Alfred, Alfred Conte, Charlie Palmer. Um, but they don't need me to push them. They, they doing fine on their own. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this has been a delight. Thank uh, you. There's so many more things we could talk about. So it's like, oh, let me put some, you know, bookends on this. Cause all the things <laughs> I've listened to, we could go off in any number of tangents, but thank you for your time. Thank you for You're your welcome. artistry. Thank you for your artistry, for who you are, for being, you know, having those Southern roots. I appreciate so
1: yeah it's all about keeping our history and passing it on and like I tell people I like to look at my art as bittersweet uh sometimes you have to get through the bitter to enjoy the sweet uh so when I'm layering I want to give you a lot either a lot of sweet and a little bit of bitter or a lot of bitter with just enough sweet so that's pretty much what I do and I try to do in collage.
0: Thank you so much. You're welcome. The original theme music for this podcast has been provided by contemporary jazz and R&B musician, Reed. Thank you to Reed, our production partner, Rivet 360, and sponsor, Sun Fun U, Mediterranean Voyages, for making this podcast possible.